Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. I was not overly qualified for this job that I have. (laughs) Well, that's an awkward way to start a sermon. I wasn't. I was not overly qualified to become a campus pastor. I had never been a campus pastor before. I had been an associate pastor for about five years, overseeing a lot of different ministries and volunteers and teaching experience and all that kind of stuff. But I had never been a campus pastor. I had never overseen an entire campus's budget and volunteers and community representation and all that comes with it. I was not overly qualified for this job. Uh, I remember the very first time I shot the job description of this job, campus pastor at Timberline Windsor, to my older brother, who's a pastor in LA. See, I needed an objective kind of real raw look at the situation because my younger brother, who was here at the first service, he's been a Timberliner for almost two decades now, and he loved the idea of us moving back to Colorado and back specifically to Windsor, and so he was all over the idea, so I didn't need to ask his opinion on whether it would be a good fit or not. I needed to go to my older brother, and I went to my older brother, and, and we looked over the job description, and I remember he said, well, I think this would be a really good fit for you. But here's the thing, Timberline's gonna have to be the church that'll take a chance on you from an experience standpoint. Completely honest, completely accurate, and completely supportive. I love him so much for that feedback. And seeing as how that was over eight years ago and everything's been great, I've got no problems with any of this. But in order for me to return to Colorado and and get my dream job, it had to be more than about just qualifications. It had to be more than about just experience. Keep that in mind for today's sermon purposes, not so you can be mean to me later. And let's take a look at today's passage. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As we encountered last week with Pastor Brent kicking off this 15-month sermon series we're gonna be in, John, John the Baptist, he's a big deal. He is central to starting off the whole account of just who Jesus really is. And from there, Mark develops a summary of Jesus's preaching ministry. What was the message that he was coming with? John the Baptist had said, the time is coming. The time is coming. Jesus comes on the scene and says, the time is at hand. The time is now. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God has always spoken through chosen representatives, people that were created in his image to show the world who he is, what he is like. The time has now come, though, for the perfect 
flawless representation of who God is and what his message is to his people. And that perfect expression, that perfect message was summarized by John this simply, repent and believe. Some of us may be going, well, that's not the best news I've ever heard. That's not the perfect message in a way that I would think about it, but it's not the perfect message in that it gives us exactly what we want, exactly the way that we want it. It's the perfect message in that it's exactly what we need, exactly in the way we needed it, exactly what will satisfy and heal and overjoy us. That message is repent and believe. Because repentance without belief leads to despair. And belief without repentance leads to presumption. Together, it's Mark's full summary of what Jesus was calling people to, both a turning or a returning from our own selves, us calling the shots. That's what repentance means. It means turning away from us calling the shots and us trying to control things. And then turning to a belief, a trust. Turning from ourselves and entrusting ourselves to the Lord. We need both to avoid religious despair and then also to avoid faith or belief that's just on our terms, which honestly is just fooling ourselves into thinking that it's really belief at all. So the perfect, complete message of God to mankind could be summarized by Mark as repent and believe. And then once Jesus has established his preaching ministry, once people know that that's his message, his next task is to go out and get people that he can invest in, impart that message to, and then send them. So that's where we get to the calling of the first disciples. Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James and John, sorry, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. James, John, and Simon, later in chapter three, verse 16, he'll be renamed Peter. James, John, and Peter, this is Jesus's inner three. This is his core A team that he's assembling right here. Where does he find them? Not in temple, along the shoreline. Fishermen. These three men called in the very midst of their jobs on the shoreline go on to become not just the unique, intimate inner three. They go on to change the world. They go on to be catalytic leaders in spreading the good news message of God. Mere fishermen. I say mere fishermen, not because being a fisherman was a lowly or undignified thing back then or now. I say mere fishermen because this is a bold, unprecedented move. Here's why. From a first century Middle Eastern context, 
Observant Jewish families would, would have children beginning to memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, learning Hebrew and memorizing the Torah. They'd start that at age five. And from age five all the way to 13, when they would have their bar mitzvah at age 13, they would have memorized the Torah, first five books of the Bible, and then the Nevi'im, that's the prophets, and then the Ketuvim, that's 13 more books, including Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and so on. And so if a young youth had, had displayed promise in those youthful years, in their childhood phase, they might be encouraged to continue their education and start studying rabbis' interpretations of the scriptures around age 17 to 20. And then at that stage, if they really show promise, if they're really the select few, they might consider pursuing a rabbi, kind of promoting themselves to a rabbi so that they might be chosen to begin what's called a yeshiva experience, multi-years under that rabbi's tutelage. Now, once you picked a rabbi, here's the trick, you would be bound to that rabbi and their interpretation of the scriptures for life. So pick wisely, because that rabbi's job, when they were selecting those that would follow them, was to grill and test and interrogate prospective students to see which of you has what it takes, not to excel, but to become just like me. Which of you has what it takes to become just like me? And at the point that a rabbi would be convinced, okay, I see them. I see the one that has what it takes. They would utter the words that Jesus just uttered to these fishermen. Follow me. Follow me was a Jewish idiom, a Hebrew idiom that, that meant both come and be with me as my disciple, do life with me, and it also meant submit completely to my authoritative teaching. Come and follow me meant that back then, and it still means it today. Come and be with me, do life with me, and submit to my teaching. So the youth sought out their rabbi, and it was a long process of pursuing their rabbi. The rabbi did not pursue students, but Jesus did. To these Jewish men, hearing follow me from Jesus meant, Rabbi Yeshua sees something in me beyond my qualifications. I'm, I'm standing here in a boat or I'm, I'm in the middle of fishing and he says to me those dreamt of words, follow me, which means he thinks I have what it takes to become like him. It's wild, it's unprecedented that Jesus would initiate the call and then that he would go after mere fishermen. They weren't qualified. They weren't temple-taught interpretation experts. We like to say it often, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Have you ever heard that before? I like that a lot. It reminds me of how I got this job in the first place. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's been his pattern throughout history, isn't it? Does he tend to go after the impressive? No, he goes after shepherds. He goes after the marginalized, neglected runts of the family. Strangers, outsiders, prostitutes, 
grumpy old prophets. He even spoke through a talking donkey once. Please, no rude comments. Just keep it to yourself. 1 Corinthians 1, 27. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Thank God that he goes after the ordinary in the pursuit of doing the extraordinary. Because as you really look at what God is going after, that's all he's got to work with anyways. And to launch the message and the movement that would literally change the course of human history, his first recruits, his blue chip recruits are four fishermen. It's amazing. But these four had other qualities that they would have developed from being fishermen. Things like patience and endurance and persistence. Things that would undoubtedly be used by Jesus in their careers, in the ways that they are called to launch the message of faith to the whole world. It's almost like Jesus knew exactly who he was calling and what they were bringing to the table. But wait, they don't, they don't have the qualifications. Jesus says, I know who they are. I know what they're bringing to the table. I know the exact time to meet them. I think God does. And I think God still does. And I think it's not a mistake that you are listening to this point right now, that God may not call the qualified, but he uses everything that we bring for bigger purposes. He's still calling. Jesus is still calling. We just sang about that. He's calling men and women and children right in the midst of what they are involved in with all their experience, with all their passions and all that they think that their life is about. And he says, I'm gonna use all that. Bring it. Bring everything that you have and I'm gonna use it to do something greater in you and through you than you can even imagine. I have you in that neighborhood for a reason. I have you in that job for a reason. I can use that past. Yes, even that broken past for a rich reason. I want you just as you are. I'll take care of the qualifications piece, he says. You've got a helper that will go beside you every step of the way. And to these men back then and to people that he's still calling today, he ushers those dreamt of words, come, follow me. Simple and profound. Just like our, our verse that I'm proposing for 2023, come, Lord Jesus. Like we said earlier, this means both coming alongside of him, doing life with him completely, and also submitting completely to his teaching. And in case there was any questions of how these guys would have responded to such an immediate, urgent call, verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then verse 20, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Come, follow me comes with immediacy and urgency and cost. Rabbi Yeshua is calling me. And I don't know if there was something in his face when they saw him inviting them, come follow me, or, or something in his tone or something implied in the look on his face, but here's the thing, none of them delayed. 
None of them presumed, let me take a night and sleep on it. Let me go home and talk to my family about it. There was no room for delay at all. Come follow me was an immediate, urgent call. And that meant to obey was costly. That's not easy. I mean it, that's not easy. Based on the background to the rabbinic apprenticeship that we outlined earlier, what were these fishermen saying yes to? A lifetime of following this man, Jesus. A lifetime commitment to his interpretations of scriptures. Did, did they know anything about this man? About his teachings, about his interpretations? Now, scripture doesn't necessarily tell us whether they had a background knowledge of who Jesus was or not, but I would think so. I would think that Rabbi Yeshua's call wasn't just from some stranger with a divine glow across their face and, and gave the call in such a commanding tone with a twinkle in his eye that they were just attracted to him like a tractor beam. But please hear me, I'm not disrespecting the divinity of Jesus at all. If that was how Jesus called them, that it was essentially irresistible, that they were, they were kind of overpowered, almost divinely possessed to follow him, then I'm good with that too. Because even demons followed Jesus with urgency. But if the fishermen's urgent, immediate, and costly response shows us that they had some kind of familiarity with who it was that was calling them, that makes it more rich to me. This guy, he's calling me. This guy just walked up to my boat and said, I see you. He looked me in the eye. This guy, the one who at 12 years old, before he had even had his bar mitzvah, was already impressing and astonishing the temple leaders with his teaching. This guy, the guy that people talk about his birth as if it was prophesied or something. It was like magical and crazy. This guy who John the Baptist can't shut up about. John the Baptist who's crazy and compelling and even controversial. John the Baptist keeps pointing to this guy and saying, I'm not a big deal. He's a big deal. He showed up at my work one day and he looked me in the eye and he said, I want you. Yeah, I'm in, instantly. But there was still a cost there. They're still immediately cutting ties with professions that they had spent their life developing, sweating over, and relying on for the well-being of their, their lives and the lives of loved ones around them. It didn't take a business lunch for them to, to get the pitch from Jesus. And again, they didn't presume that that the offer would still be there if they said, give me a moment. Let me go home and talk to my family. I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> I love this. For the sons of Zebedee, there was even family dynamics they'd eventually have to iron out, right? Can't you just see the conversation around the dinner table one day when, when James and John find their way back into the house of Zebedee? So, boys, how was your day? Anything interesting happen in your day? Let me tell you about my day because, oh, it was a tough day. I actually had to work double shift and pay those less experienced guys overtime. Man, do you know why it was such a tough day, boys? <laughs> I'm kind of having fun with this. I'm sure it didn't go down that way with passive-aggressive Zebedee, but 
But all of that to show that, man, there was a real cost there. There was a real cost to immediately and urgently following Jesus. Things that they had to immediately cut loose from. That's pretty significant to consider. And we know how it panned out for them. What I love is we know that the trajectory of their followership, despite some struggles and and imperfections of figuring out what it really meant, the trajectory of their followership, we don't see any of these guys going back to the fishing profession permanently. No, the further in they followed Jesus, the more committed they became. The trajectory of their followership was only in one direction. I mean, they screwed up, they stumbled a bit, at least initially, especially our buddy Simon Peter. But I don't see any of these guys going backwards saying, never mind, that was totally impulsive of me, my bad, I didn't really think it through. No, they were convinced. And more and more convinced the more they walked with Jesus. All right, this is compelling. Because it makes me ask the question, is there something you need to cut loose from? Is there something that following Jesus with everything you got means I gotta finally and clearly and completely cut loose of that thing? Is there a part of your life, your weekly habits and hangups You need to cut loose in order to completely, urgently, immediately follow Jesus. Is there an addiction you need to be honest about? Is there some aspect of your personality that you need to allow God to kind of soften a bit so you can become more and more like Jesus? Is there a standard of life that you need to kind of cut back on, have some kind of restraint so that you can ensure that Jesus and his church get my best. They get the first fruits, not the leftovers. Is there a cost to your discipleship? Is there something you need to cut loose from? Some of us find ourselves looking for churches or sermons or or small groups that fit our brand of life, that fit nicely into the kind of Christianity we want. But as our friend Samuel, that we looked at a couple of weeks back, as he said to the Israelites waffling between following God and following the ways of the world, he said this, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, if you're going to return to the Lord with all your heart, Then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. If you're gonna do this, be all in. Be all about it. Bring everything. You're gonna have to take some practical steps. God is a one God faith. If there's other things in your life that you gotta cut loose from, cut loose from them. Is there a cost to your discipleship? Because these men following Jesus, they they may have been compelled when he first invited them. They may felt like, this makes me feel really good that Jesus sees who I am. But he didn't exactly slide a cost sheet across the table for them, did he? Hey, three of the four of you, you're gonna be killed for following me. And one of you, the one of you that's not killed for following me, you're gonna watch all your friends die 
for this. And you're going to be forcibly exiled away on an island. You're going to face tribulations and beatings of all kinds for my sake. He didn't do that, did he? What would their response have been? I don't know. But God never does that, does he? He never tells us at the onset, here's what it's gonna cost you. We figure that out over time as we get stronger. As I'm gonna say at the end, it's like parenting. I guarantee if you slid the cost sheet to me day one of my kid's life across the table at the hospital, my eyes are gonna get as big as saucers. But that's not how the cost of parenting is counted, is it? The cost to follow Jesus is real. Even in America. Oh, I don't desire a country that surrounds believers with not only cultural challenges and competing values, but, but forced restrictions on gatherings like this. Or imprisonment for those who, who mention and evangelize about the name of Jesus. I don't want a country like that. And that is the reality for people that are all throughout the world right now, this very moment. And those realities are very present for them, but the cost is still real to follow Jesus in America. Can we cut loose from the things we need to cut loose from in order to fully, passionately, unreservedly follow him? A group of guys discussed this very thing at men's ministry the other morning, and we were talking about some of the costs we've experienced in following Jesus. How about social isolation? My guess is if anyone in here or listening to me online is new to faith, like around the one to three year period, you would say, I know a cost. It's social isolation. I don't get invited to the same circles I used to. I don't talk like they talk anymore. I don't do the kind of things that I used to do. Or maybe the people around us, they form narratives about the way our beliefs separate us from their worldview or the enlightened world around us. Or our standard of living is just significantly impacted. We used to spend all of our value on the nicer things, but Christianity has taught us that I'm supposed to defer, think of others first. So my standard of living has been impacted. I'm not calling this stuff persecution. I am calling it a cost of discipleship. There are still costs. And in no way does having a cost for following Jesus mean that somehow our lives are worse off with him than they were without him. They're a sign that we're at least beginning to count the cost of discipleship. Because what happens if, and some would say when, the culture around us and the country around us becomes even more hostile to our beliefs? in our faith, and it very clearly costs us something critical to follow Jesus. How do we know whether we would stand and endure persecution? I don't know, but I do know that God's working on that very thing right now. I want you to start counting the cost of discipleship. Recognize that there is a cost. I'm not trying to scare you about Christianity. I'm trying to look at the very real cost of discipleship that we see, not just played out in these guys leaving their fishing nets in their business, 
but that the whole gospel and the whole of scripture says, oh, it'll be costly to follow Jesus. It'll be costly to not do things the way you used to do them. So if there's such a cost, why cut loose and follow with such immediacy? Because it's undoubtedly, unreservedly, and unconditionally worth it. Once again, despite some stumbles along the way, stumbles that give you and I some hope that it's okay to be works in progress in following Jesus, I don't see any of these guys ever turning back. They wouldn't be around to write these accounts of what life with Jesus was like if they hadn't stuck around, right? But they do stick around as they go further in. And we hear them talking about what life with Jesus is like. And do you hear any regret coming out of this? No. What we hear is they say, it's full of joy. It's full of strength. It's full of peace and fulfillment and purpose. Acts 13, 52, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the spirit of God. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. One of these four fishermen that just got tapped on the shoulder along the shoreline, John 1427 recounts Jesus saying, peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. And then later in 1511, I have called you to all these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then John 1010, I have come that my followers may have life and that they may have it abundantly. One of these fishermen goes on and tells us later in life, here's what it's like. Here's how it's worth it. Because the world can't put a dollar sign on those things. Joy, fulfillment, purpose. Because the world can't offer them like following Jesus can. The cost and the reward of following Jesus, it's real. Like I said earlier, I, I have the example of being a parent I can see this in being a parent. Some of you may have an example like that. Some of you may not. It may be with why you live in the place that you live or have the career that you have. But I look at parenting and I promise you, it's a scary thought to think of the cost of parenting. I don't know that I ever want to run those numbers. The cost is real. Even on the days where I'm not having as much fun as I thought I might be having. But is it worth it? Answering that question can't hardly scratch the surface on what worth it means. The cost was real to follow Jesus and it was surpassingly worth it. The kingdom has come. The time is now. Repent from that old way of doing it and believe. Turn to the new way. It's worth it. Come Follow Jesus. And that cost would undoubtedly be worth it when he came and fulfilled the entire purpose that he came. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. If you got communion on your way in, we'd love for you to grab it. If you didn't get communion on your way in, it's in the back. Even if this is your first time and you're, you're saying, I wasn't really prepared for this, but 
But man, I, I hear the heart of a God that's drawing me. Take a moment. Go get communion elements in the back. We'd love for you to participate in this. Those of you watching online, take some time. Grab that. Even like I said, if this is your first time, here's what communion's all about. That we're gonna take a couple of elements that remind us of the cost that Jesus paid for us. It's gonna cost us our lives to follow him. And it cost him his life to secure the salvation for all that may follow in his name. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread in front of his friends, those that he called to follow him, and he broke it. And he said, this is what it's gonna cost me. And I have never, ever second-guessed that. It is worth laying down my life for my friends. Let's take the bread and remember his body broken for us. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing. This is why qualifications don't matter. This is why we can know no matter our past, it's covered because of his blood. Let's take that together. Almighty God, we see you calling us. We see you beckoning us and telling us, turn from that old unsatisfying way of doing life and, and of prioritizing life and your values. Come and follow me. Oh, there's a cost. There's a very real cost, but you will never doubt whether it is worth it. Not in the end, not when you see things as they really are. So Jesus, we invite you to stir our hearts, show us where we need to count the cost. I pray that you would show people where they need to cut loose from things in order to fully follow you. And I pray for those that you are newly, freshly calling that they would hear the God that comes after them, the radical God that says, I'm pursuing you. I'm calling you. He is still calling. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.